we want to continue and to, in our Q&A time. And uh, we finished up last week in verse 34 in Matthew chapter 6, and then open it up to some questions. We had some great questions that came up. Uh, the one that dealt with the whole issue really kind of talked about emotions and how we feel through things. And as I let you know that emotions aren't obviously always bad as long as they're controlled by the Spirit. And then the question came up about distinguishing between concern and anxiety. And that's something I said very early on in the series, that there's a difference between the two. So um, when we think about, um, let's move to that next slide. Yeah. And this grid that we discuss is so important for us. I just want you to see that again, that we go through life and we interface with our thinking, but the thinking has to be mature and it has to be biblical and we will always have a response, will we not? And so based on what is in our mind, uh, we're faced with something in life and then there is going to be a response based on how our grid is put together. And as I challenged you last week, and I asked you to think through any number of attributes of God, and, and you all responded yes to all of those attributes of God, all of the things about God that makes him great and who he is. But there is always a follow-up question. If we believe these things about God and who he is, then why, do we be, why are we anxious? Why do we fear? And it was quite interesting. And that was one of those things that, as I was teaching, was in the moment. I wasn't you know, planning to do that, but it just seemed right. And you could hear when we say, is God merciful? Yes. Is God faithful? Yes. Is God sovereign? Yes. Is God kind? Yes. Is God a God of providence? Yes. Is God a God of righteousness? Yes. Is God a God of holiness? Yes. Is he all powerful? Yes. Is he all knowing? Yes. Is he ever present? Yes. Then the question is, so why do we worry then? How can we affirm all of those things, but yet we have worry? But this is the reality of the human struggle, Correct. Um, because we can say all of those things, and why do we doubt? Because in one sense, anxiety is simply an expression of doubt. We're saying in that moment, I am so overly concerned in a way that is not biblical for my life circumstances that I'm doubting your sovereign control over all things and even doubting your love for me, which you know Matthew has so easily established that we have a heavenly father who cares for us. And if he cares for us, he is going to give us everything that we need when we need it, though. Now, so that was that. Now, the question came up about concern versus anxiety. And I want us to think through some verses again. I just thought I would put these verses up here for us to consider. Because um, in 1 Corinthians 7, 23 and 33... Um, it tells us about singleness in marriage. Now, the person who is unmarried um, is concerned, it says, about the things of the Lord, and the person who is married is concerned about the things of the world. And obviously that text is not saying that they're a worldly person, but as you're married, you're concerned about the things of the world because now there's someone that you must care for. Uh, as a single individual, and particularly if you think about it as a man, perhaps even more so as a man, as you're a single man, there are certain things that you don't have to concern yourself with. But when you become married, now all of a sudden those concerns change. So 
Let me do a quick survey right here. Okay, all of us um, that went from, which would be all of us, from singleness to marriage, uh, what are some of the things that once you became married, now you had to be concerned about? Paying your bills. Paying your bills. Oh. Okay. Single um, guy. Hey. Who, who needs electricity, right? It's overrated. You know, having hot water, forget that stuff, baby. This is, this is wait for the rain. <laughs> it's coming. Well, maybe for six months. <laughs> okay, but, you know, more. Let's, I'm, I'm trying to help you, Dave. I'm trying to help you here. So you, you, you're more concerned about him, right? You just, yeah, right. There you go. You absolutely on time. Um, yeah, even early. You're paying the bills early. That's what it is. That's what you were saying, right? That's what he was saying. Yes, you're paying your bills early. <laughs> I read your mind. All right, what else? Priority of family. Sure, now you have a family. You, that, that means now that's all, the whole issue of time, how to use your time. There's certain things you can't do anymore. Your life is not your own. So what else are you going to be concerned about? Now that you're married men. This is, mar- this is a man answer. Married men answer. <laughs> yes. Protection. Protection. Yeah, absolutely. So there, there's a sense in which uh, prior to marriage, you're, you're concerned about it, but not as much. Now in your household, you have a wife, and now if you have kids in that household, you're thinking about protecting them all the more. Absolutely. Uh, I was staying with my, one of my nephews, and his wife was about to go out to the store and he says, oh, I'm going with her. Yeah, it's late night, and I don't really like that place where, where she's going. I'm thinking, you're, you're in a great neighborhood. What are you talking about? You just want to go out, I think is what it is. But it, he, something kicks in. He's like, it's too late. I'm going to go with her. It kicks in, which is a good thing, right? Are you guys, single guys, hearing that? Okay. And married guys, too. <laughs> All right, what else? Oh, wow. He went deeper here. He said marital roles and good communication. Okay? So absolutely, because now that you're married, um, quick survey. Um, Who has had to work on their communication since marriage? Hmm. Just the men. No? Just the men. No, everybody knew. Every Women, too, you know you had to work as well. So we have to work on certain things. When you talk to your guys, it was no problem talking to them that way. They got it. Then all of a sudden, you talk to your wife, and it's like, what? No, wait, what? <laughs> now you have to adjust. You have to think about these things. What about your future? I've got to think about my future maybe a little bit more readily than I was before. Because now kids, okay, now they're thinking college. Do I try to help them out for college? What do I do? Do I put something away? How do I help them? Do I put in more hours so there will be an opportunity for them? Do I help them with their applications? Do I help them try to get scholarships? All of these things come up now that you are a married person. So concerns, but those concerns still cannot or cannot move into worry concerned about them, but not worried over them. And then notice 1 Corinthians 12, 25. What is interesting here, 
Let's just look at that in its full context. Read the entire verse, 1 Corinthians 12, 25. And it says what? Um, yeah, and so let's go 24. Whereas our more pre- presentable members have no need of it, but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to the member which it lacked, so that... There may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. So here translated care, but he's saying have the same concern. In the body of Christ, aren't you concerned for your brothers and sisters? You can't live your life independently. You're all a part of a family. And this is why he's saying these different members come together and you should have a concern for each other. You cannot live independently. We are all connected to one another So you can have a concern for your brother and sister without being anxious. And then as well, let's go to 2 Corinthians 11. Paul says here that he has a concern in verse 28. He says, verse 27 will help a little bit. Even if you go back to 26. Um, Well, 24, five times. 39 lashes, three times beaten with rods, stoned, three times shipwrecked. He says, frequent journeys, dangers from rivers, robbers, countrymen, Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers from false brethren. And think about Paul for a moment in his travels. He's saying, I experienced all of these things. You say, dangers in the wilderness? Yes. Yes, I mean, he at times, think about it. You have to put your mind back, not in modern road systems that we have today. Um, think about ancient times, and when you're traveling, you're going through areas where it's not, quote, been civilized yet. So it's not only am I facing the dangers of people who want to take my life, but then I'm facing dangers of a mountain lion. I'm facing dangers of a snake. I'm facing, facing dangers of a wild beast. But the Lord has seen me through it all. And then he says in 27, I've been in labors and hardship and sleepless nights, hunger and thirst without food, cold and exposure, apart from such external things. So notice what he says. These are all things that are outside. They're fighting me. These are elements. He says, there is a daily pressure of me on me of concern for all the churches. But was Paul ever anxious over the church? No, concerned for the church. At times, you could say almost chastising the church, a child that's being disobedient, but he is not anxious over it because anxiety would say God is not in control. And he knew that God loved his church and he would care for his church. Notice what he says in verse 29. Who is weak without me being weak? Who is led into sin without my, what does he say? Intense concern. And the word here, a different word, but it's really just without this intensity is what is being said. Um, so again, in the body of Christ, someone is in pain, you feel that pain with them. It's, it's not the way it should be. And he says here, someone is in sin, you have an intense concern. Why do you have an intense concern when someone is led into sin? I'll pause for a moment. 
Why would you have an intense concern when someone else is led into sin? Not you. You're walking with the Lord. Why would that create an intense concern? What's that? You're part of the body of Christ. And what happens? Yeah. Restore them. As Paul says, Galatians, right? Restore such a one. Mend the broken bone, if you will. And you also know that if they're led away into sin, question, basic, but go back to the basics. Where does sin lead you? Destruction. Does it not? And often people who are in sin, and some of you can attest to it yourself, you're in sin, but you don't see the destruction is coming. Because sin doesn't advertise itself as destroying, does it? How does sin advertise itself? Pleasure. What else does it say? Satisfaction. What does it say? I'll meet that need. What else does it say? Yes, exactly. No consequences. Immediate gratification. It doesn't tell you long term. It doesn't tell you what you'll lose. And this is why I remember um, in Hebrews, Moses um, decided to, he would be affiliated with his brothers instead of enjoying the passing pleasures of sin, it says. And I always like that verse from this standpoint because it's, it's very raw and it's very real um, because it says it's pleasurable. It doesn't deny that. See, the, the Bible isn't trying to trick us to say that there is no gratification in the immediate when it comes to certain sin, but he says it's what? Passing. And there's also consequences to it as well. So if a brother is taken away, our sister is taken away, you want to say, friend, this is headed to destruction. So I'm concerned for you. Notice, if you will, Colossians 4. Colossians 4, 13. And it says... For I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and those who are in Laodicea and Heropolis. So deep concern. We should have that for everyone. But see, anxiety overwhelms. Anxiety moves into doubt. It's a contrast, if you will, between trust and control. Anxiety wants to control. Um, a person has concern, they trust the Lord and the circumstances surrounding that person or that event. Uh, the person who is a person of concern, they accept the divine outcome as one that's ordered by the Lord. Although they may experience disappointments, no one is saying that you want to experience disappointments. Paul, with the churches, he had disappointments in the churches. But he knew that ultimately God was going to do what? Mold his church and make it what he wants it to be. I I would say that also when it comes to anxiety, it's going to cause emotional instability. You say, when have I crossed the line from concern to anxiety? Where are you emotionally? Um, Is it now affecting your emotions so much that it is a detriment to what is presently in front of you? And this is why Jesus Christ said in verse 34, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow has enough what? Trouble of its own. Today, deal with the present. And I think that also when it comes to anxiety, the difference is when a person is anxious, uh, they see divine limitation. 
a person is concerned, uh, it's genuine, it comes from the heart, it is care, they see limitless divine intervention. It may not be now in the way in which they think it should be, but nonetheless, they trust God in his divine plan. Um, and a person that has concern, as I said before, you may experience hurt, but it won't overwhelm you with the fact that now you're incapacitated or your, your thoughts are so distracted you can't do the things that are right in front of you. Yeah. So concern and anxiety. That kind of topples off that, that question, if you will. All right, next question. What is it? We have the microphones ready. Um, and you can ask, okay, hands already up. Let's go. Yeah, hi. Um, in the Alzheimer's ministry here at Grace, one of the biggest causes of anxiety in the caregiving families, and this was true for me too, when my husband was sick, is kind of what else can I do to help them? <laughs> um, how far should I go? What avenues can I explore? I mean, health-wise, just behavior-wise, things to do to help them keep their eyes on the Lord when they're confused with dementia. Um, I mean, I heard it all from give Gary coconut oil <laughs> to restore his mind mm. to um, keep him at home, don't send him to a skilled nursing. I mean, there is... A million ideas, and I think it causes a lot of anxiety in the caregiving loved one, you know, of loved ones, to want to do the very best and not accept the limitation that God has put on you. To so, what I'm asking is, biblically, kind of how far do you go down the road that looks like okay? There's a possibility we can try that. We can sure. try that. When do you know it's time to just say, I only have so many hours in a day to love this person. How should sure. I do Yeah, that's a concern? good question. So I think I can answer it from the standpoint of a principal without giving any medical advice and caregiving advice specifically because I wouldn't want to do that. Um, so principally, I think what you can do is you have to ask yourself a question. In finding that ultimate solution... Am I missing the opportunity just to minister to that person as my spouse, as my grandmother, uh, as my auntie, or whomever it may be? Uh, does that detract from my ministry to them in the present, in the here and now? So much so that as I am Googling and searching and asking and everything else, I'm taxed. So all my emotional energy that I could have given to them in a more simpler way that you just trust it, you can have a faithful example of loving that person through this. Now that's taken away because I've sort of expended it all in looking for that. That's it. Because all we have to do right now is to go to YouTube and they're going to be how many people that are going to say, here's a solution. Um, and say, for instance, if now there can be a, a difference between here's this holistic approach and here's a more and we're going to call it traditional pharmaceutical approach to it. Which should it be? So now these two are at odds with one another. And which do I choose? Which do I select? So at some point in time, through counsel of other people that know you and some that are in a field that works with 
uh, this area that you get advice. And you have to, before the Lord, I just think, make a decision and say, I'm just going to care for them and love them as best I can and encourage them as best I can. I'm going to read the word of God to them and pray that it, what they comprehend and can um, receive will minister to them internally, maybe in ways that I'm not even aware of. That you also have to think about it this way, I think. Uh, all of us, it may not be Alzheimer's or dementia, um, but say, for instance, it's just another sickness that a person is going through, and you have to care for them. We have to also think that our ministry to that person is beyond them and you. It's also to those who are observing you. I can think about my former church, uh, um, Maynard Taylor. Uh, man, dear man that never, he worked in aerospace, never moved from the neighborhood. Um, and Maynard, um, when his wife became ill, I mean, they were in, at that point, John, they were 85, and she was 90, right? I mean, early 90s, and he's still taking care of her. Um, and I'll never forget that. And the thing that Maynard said to all of us, he says, I made a vow in sickness and in health. Because even the kids were like, Dad, just let her go somewhere else. They can take care of you. He says, no, as long as I have strength to do it, I will do it. And did she get better? No, she didn't. She got worse over time, and she went on to glory. But it was beyond just them. It was the example that was being set for others to see this is how one keeps their vow. This is how you honor the Lord. This is a marriage bond. And that's why even now that memory comes to mind to me just like it was yesterday um, for Maynard in taking care of his wife. I thought, wow. And then, so at a certain point, it began to tax him a little bit. And there were times he couldn't do everything. It got to that point, but he was absolutely committed to it. So we have to think, okay, beyond me physically helping them, I need to set an example, fulfill what God has called me to do. So those are the principally what I would think through when it comes to that. Then it's going to mean you're also getting good counsel from people, but we, I'll just be upfront with you about it. Uh, you can get a multitude of counselors. And those multitude of counselors, one person is saying, yes, it is the coconut oil. No, it's actually this. It's, you have to get rid of everything that's GMO. That's the reason. No, you have to do this. Start them. And what do you do? And at some point in time, you have to say, Lord, I can't cipher all of this. This is, I think, is my capacity, and I'm going to do it. Yeah, and then pray that maybe there is that person that does come along and they can offer you some advice that's very sound and very helpful, that's unique even. But until that time comes, do what you can. And it's, it's great that we have people in ministry, like at this church, who have been through it, are going through it, and they can offer advice. But even then, sometimes, here's the reality. We've all received advice from someone absolutely is well-meaning, Correct. They, they're absolutely sincere, but it just isn't the best thing. And, and it may have been the best for them, but it's not the best for you. And that's a part of wisdom as well. Yeah. Yeah. So um, next question. Anxiety. 
How do we address? I see two hands in the back over there. Hi, how are you, sir? Excellent. You? I'm doing well. Good. Um, how do you feel that our views on eschatology affect our anxiety or our concern? Oh, great. I mean, think about it. Thessalonians, Paul said um, to, I was meditating on this even when I was away. Um, we mourn or we have sorrow, but not as those we have no hope. And why did he say that? Because essentially those who, are, who have died in the Lord, we will see them again. So my eschatology informs me that I can mourn in the moment, but yet I have hope because I know I will see, I'll be reunited. We will, he says, meet the Lord. Where are we going to meet the Lord? In the air. I'm going to meet them again in the air. So eschatology is important because it offers hope. Eschatology is important all throughout Scripture because it's the idea that Paul is saying or Peter is saying, like Peter is saying, think eschatologically. Because if you think eschatologically, this present suffering, as Scripture would say, otherwise, is nothing in comparison to what is going to be revealed. Uh, say, for instance, uh, look at Colossians chapter 3. We we're, we're, were right there a minute ago, but look at chapter 3. Here's eschatology. Uh, Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, chapter 3, verse 1, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Notice verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. So that helps me put life in perspective. And that is a, a beautiful lead-in to what Paul is going to say then in verses um, like 5 through 11. That's the motivation for me to deal with sin. Because the next verse he says what? Put sin to death. Therefore, put sin to death. So that affects me as I think about the future. Um, what did Jesus Christ say when he came back for his disciples? Um, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many what? Mansions. Many mansions. So eschatology. Again, um, I will come for you. Eschatology. Uh, Rest in that. So eschatology is important because it gives us that perspective about life. Um, And we know that although this world is a complete mess, a mess. You know, I just, I saw it firsthand this past week in a mess. Why is my great nephew lying dead here? Why, why is some 22-year-old uh, arrested for premeditated murder? Why is it that they found three, there was a camera that came from someone's ring camera that caught it, uh, from a church that caught it, and from the high, not high school, the grade school that I attended as a kid, because it's panning, you know, the back of the area. Why is it that he is just walking back to his house and someone goes and then follows him and shoots him in his back? Yeah. Christ is going to make all things right. So there's a millennial kingdom that is coming, Revelation chapter 20, and Christ will rule, and he will rule with a rod of iron. Is what is true. 
So that makes all things right. So it gives you perspective. But eschatology also says this. How are you going to live your present life? And eschatology is also in this. It tells us, well, um, store up for yourselves treasures on the earth. Did it, wait, did it, what? Are you sure? I need, do I need to go back to seminary? No. Where are you storing up your treasures? Where is heaven? Up. <laughs> Amen. And when is heaven? Is it now? No, it is the future, eschatology. Store up. He says, don't store up your treasures here where rust and moth, and what are they going to do? Destroy it all. It's going to rust all. That's eschatology. So it tells you, how should I live my life? Do I really need some people, you know, the third house? They're like... Do, do I really need that? Do I really need that? Is used okay? Is pre-owned acceptable? Then I can use that money somewhere else? Those are the things you have to think through in life. So, yes, absolutely, eschatology. Extremely important. Yeah. Excellent question. Okay. We have some more time. This is good. All right. We're getting warmed up here. Oh, it's the next question. I thought I saw a second hand back there. Okay, they all answered it. I know it's not, but we'll... Okay, I see two more. Three. Okay, just like that. One, two, three, four. All right, yes. Hello. Um, my question is, how do you deal with the sadness that you have despite you thinking on things above, doing God's promises, knowing all of that stuff, but you still have sadness in your heart and you can't get those thoughts to apply to you and rejoice? Yeah, that's a great question. The question I would have to say based on the basis of the sadness. What's the sadness? So we'd have to answer that. I'd want to know what is the sadness before I said, well, this is how you deal with it. Because, say, for instance, I can just say my... Um, at this service yesterday when we came from the viewing and my other nephew, um, Sean's brother, um, Marcus, he's just crying. He's a little buff guy. Uh, thinks that he can take me on, but he can't. And, uh, and, and we talk about that whenever he comes, when I come to town. And he's crying. He says, I've got to stop doing this. I have to stop doing this. I said, why? Why? Why do you think you have to stop? Where is there a textbook that says, Thou shalt mourn for 72 hours? What does it say? Because you're you know, a buffy guy, you're not supposed to cry that much. If You, you may be crying a week from now. Uh, trust me. Um, you know, Michael's birthday is going to come around. You'll probably cry then. There'll be Thanksgiving and Christmas, and you'll say, Where is he? Why is there's more food left? Because, yeah, because Michael's not here. <laughs> you're going to cry again. So, I'd have to know why you have this sadness. And my, my counsel to him is there's nothing necessarily wrong with that sort of sadness. Okay? Now, obviously, we can be sad for different reasons. Um, there's a sadness that comes from loss, and sometimes that comes in waves. That we experience the loss of a loved one. Uh, there's a sadness that comes from our past sin. Because now we have the sadness because of how we have let the Lord down in our past, and that comes up, 
And I believe the enemy, the flesh, keeps that in front of us because it, it's an attempt to say, look at you, what you have done. You're not worthy. You cannot propel ahead. You cannot move ahead. So that's an ungodly sadness, I believe, that you have to surrender to the Lord. And this is why, you know, say, for instance, um, Philippians chapter 4. Think about Philippians 4. Um, Philippians 4, 8. You were thinking the same way, Doc. I know you were. And it says, um, verse 4. Let's just start there. Rejoice in the Lord when? Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit. Now, here is eschatology again. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. So I live my Christian life knowing that the Lord is near. And you say near, but wait a minute. This is 2,000 years ago, but it's still near. Do we all agree with that? Because as far as what we believe about the rapture, there are no preconditions for the rapture to take place. So it could be really in that moment in the twinkling of an eye. Then he says, be anxious for nothing but in some things. In those, unless it's really, really hard things. But in everything by prayer and supplication with, no, this is so important. This is really important. This is not just a verse thrown in a verse, or word thrown in a verse. With what? Thanksgiving. God, I'm thankful for this. You've allowed this to happen. With thanksgiving, you're a God that is worthy of thanksgiving regardless of circumstances. Let your request be known to God. And as a result, the peace of God will surpass, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds. A beautiful word for guard. Historically, I won't go into it too much, but the reason Paul used that word for guard would have created a picture for the church at Philippi. Absolutely. Of guards literally being around something. Then finally, brethren, whatever is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely of good repute, excellence, worthy of praise, dwell on these things. So what a missing discipline of the Christian life is meditation. Because in this, sometimes we hear meditation, and what comes to mind when we think meditation? We think where? We think Eastern mysticism. No, meditation is thoroughly biblical, which means we, it's like chewing the cud. We talked about that before, feeding on his faithfulness. And so I meditate on that and so that it affects my life. But the question is, but I've tried before. But sometimes it's like prayer, and it's been said, you don't pray until you pray. Our people will say, pray until you pray, which means we pray and we don't give up. We don't surrender. We meditate and we say, Lord, please arrest these thoughts in my mind. And this is why, of course, um, you know, Ephesians 4.23, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. But this takes meditation. This takes memorization. This takes hearing messages. It takes counsel. It takes surrounding people who are going to reaffirm these things. This is why good friends are important, because you want friends who are going to be around you that give you stimulating conversation. And if they're not giving you stimulating conversation, what's the point? So, again, circumstantially, what is, what is the sadness? Uh, if I knew more specifically, I would 
kind of get a more sniper approach to it. But in a general sense, here are the principles that you have to go to. Yeah. All right. There were like, okay, back there. There we go. Um, What sort of mindset should we keep when trying to show love and grace towards someone, maybe a close member, a close family member or a parent whose anxiety may be affecting those around them? Yeah, that's a good question. And I'm talking about from a believer's perspective. They're believers, well, sure, but they're anxious, and it affects everyone because it, they admit it, if you will, and it could even affect decisions that they make, an atmosphere that, uh, you know, at the family gathering, conversation as well. Uh, I think we just go first. The family member, if they're an adult, not, not just an adult, but um, a senior member, that we always have to do so with honor and respect because the Bible tells us that. Uh, There may be a sense in which I can say, for instance, um, the scripture talks about rebuking an older man uh, with, with the sense of gentleness and respect. But yet, a peer, uh, I'm going to approach them differently. With a peer, it may mean, get it together, man. What are you doing? Um, um, and even then, it may not be. Even if they're a peer, but they have a, a quieter spirit, um, if you will, I can't take that approach. Because some, you know, I have to take the approach of the weak. Um, there's the unruly and there's the weak. And maybe I have to discern between, is this person one of the weak? And how I speak to them is going to be very different than another person. So I have to discern that. And even with that family member, where are they? How, how forcefully do I speak to them? Are my words more of an encouragement or are my words more of an admonition? And I have to discern that as well from that person and my relationship to that person. But it's also this. I always have to approach my instruction to them out of concern, not just because you're making life miserable for all of us. That's not the approach. I'm concerned for you because I see this in you often. And there's no way that you can be living a joyful Christian life if this is what I constantly see from you. And so what's, what do you think is causing it? Um, and I want to pray for them about it. And if they're open to discussion, um, that I can counsel them with the word of God that's not just looking at the symptom, but it goes back to that grid, the thinking. What are you thinking that we need to correct? What, what layer is more that we need to put in that grid that can help you sift through these issues of life? And I think you show sympathy towards them, without a doubt, as they go through it. Uh, that's something that we, need to, we can do better at uh, in our Christian life, particularly people that are Bible-believing, cutting it straight, um, you know, we hear expository preaching. We hear confrontation with evangelicalism people um, that we need to be people who can be what? Sympathetic and gentle and slow and kind when we speak to people. And there will be moments when we do need to turn that corner and be more of an admonisher to individuals as well. So that's the approach that I would take to someone like that. All right, super. One more question, I think. Okay, right there. Uh, work it the best way I can, Pastor Carl. Okay. Um, 
it's regarding protection, concern, anxiety that becomes controlling. Yes, it can cross over. Oh, that's. Yeah, I want to like. You know, oh, okay. yeah, yeah, help me out with that. Oh, I thought you situation. were introducing yeah. it. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> yeah, help me out with that, Carl. <laughs> oh, man, let's look at the clock. Um, yeah, yeah, okay, because it's really what we were saying at the beginning of our time that you go from trust to control. And often people who are controllers, um, the, the root of that is, I think we'd all agree, is pride. Is it not? So it must be done this way. So you have to identify that as such. And then also, I think about it this way. Uh, go If you think um, Ephesians chapter 6, right? Ephesians 6 verse 4 says what? What does Ephesians 6 4 say? Uh, fathers... Don't exasperate your children, but rear them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. So now we have a father should have concern for his children. Do we all agree with that? But you can be an exasperated because you're a controller. You want to control everything in their life. And there have been stories, you've seen it, documentaries done and other news stories of especially that great athlete. And the dad is going to control everything for his life. Or he's the guy that's going to be the next NASA, um, you know, pilot. Uh, and they want to control everything in their life to order it a certain way. So you go from a sense of, wow, you really have some skills and abilities. And now it's a control factor that quenches the spirit. So the question is, am I a controller? The people around me, are their spirits quenched or are they refreshed? Hmm, that may tell me. Am I a controller? What is my response to that person when things aren't done the way that I think they should be done? You know, do I respond with graciousness or with anger or being upset or extreme disappointment? Uh, am I a controller when they don't heed my counsel? What is my response to that person? Am I a controller when they don't heed my counsel? and actually it turns out better than what I told them, do I rejoice with them? Or do I inside, I guess it's okay. <laughs> no. Wonderful, thank you. Yeah, you saw something I didn't see, but the controller will not see that. They're, they're slow to congratulate when someone has not heeded their counsel or their approach to something. They don't rejoice with people the way that they should. Those are some of the markers, I think, when you go from that sense of protection and also protection, of course, protection. Yeah, all of us, especially as men, you want to protect your family. Um, you want to protect, guys want to protect their, uh, their daughters. I mean, it's more so than sons. I mean, um, uh, for, like, daughters are, uh, it's another thing. <laughs> It's, it's, it just is. It's, it's another factor. Because now you, you, you have conversations and concerns that you don't have with your boys. Uh, now you have to have the conversation with your boys to say, don't be that boy that another father is concerned about. Do you understand what I'm saying? Sure you do. But with the daughter, you're thinking, oh, who is this guy? What is he like? Da, 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 da. Okay, what time is it? You have to get home. My son's, okay, it's, uh, you know, it's 2 a.m. It's 2 a.m. You'll take care of yourself. Uh, unless I told you to be home. 
but my daughter's 2 a.m. Oh, Nate, what's going on? What's happening here? What's, what's about to take place here? So, because she's a girl. And, you know, this mad world that we live in, they don't, they don't want these distinctions to be there anymore. So I feel differently about them than I would the guys. But um, so there's protection is there, but protection can get to the point where it's overbearing. You, you have to learn even as a parent, okay, you, you're in that stage of life, which no. That's it. No, you may not. Why? No, because I said so. Then you get to the stage in life, it's no. Why? Good, decent question. Let's talk about it. Then a stage in life where that goes less and less, obviously, to the point where now they're an adult and they make their own decisions. And hopefully you have enough relationship where they'll still call you and say, hey, dad, or hey, mom, I'm thinking about this. Ouch. Don't know if I'd do it that way. But then there are people who are still controllers with their adult kids. Why did you make that decision? Why are you doing it that way? And I've said it before. Now, there are times, and Joanna, I've had that conversation where you just you say, you know what? Um, they're just going to have to fail. Failure is good sometimes. Because if we are a safety net all the time, and that can get into control, you're a safety net. Guess what? They leave your household and they go into the world, and the world provides no safety net for them. Then they're looking for a safety net, and they're like, where's the out? Where's the avenue? Where's the rescue? Sorry, fired. So you have to prepare them for that. And that's that exasperation and control. And you say, because I'm concerned about them that I want it to be this way. No, you're not. You're anxious. You don't trust the Lord. You want it your way, and you need to back off. And that's why at times when kids, they're in your household, at least in our household, uh, but if you're in our household, here are the rules, but we're still going to give you freedom. You are an adult. You're being responsible. But, you know, all our kids, whenever, and I think all of them may have said it, all of them, you know, gave us, the, you know, we're 18 line. Uh, I'm 18 now. I'm like, well, great. Homeschool work. You can count to 18. But apart from that, 18, here's, and I told him, you can ask every one of my kids. I said the same thing. Here's the deal with 18. It's after 17 and it's before 19. (laughs) Other than that, it means nothing. It means nothing to me unless you're responsible. Because you can be 16, it's like, wow, that kid has it together. And you can be, since we're talking about 18, you can be 48. It's like, when are you going to grow up? (laughs) You have not arrived yet. Do you get my point? Is it reasonable? Is that real? Sure it is. So we have to be careful. I could go into this further, but time has ticked away. All right. Lord, thank you for this time that we have. Your goodness, grace, and mercy. We would ask now that through the power of your spirit, you help us to apply these many verses we've studied over these many, even months as we've gone through the series, to be free from anxiety, that we would trust you wholeheartedly. In Christ's name, amen.